Scott Horton Comedy. That's right, I'm doing an event with Robbie the Fire Bernstein here in Austin on the 5th of November as part of Robbie's Porch Tour. It's kind of an audition, actually. I'm trying to get the job to replace Dave Smith as Rob's sidekick. So show up and pretend to laugh at my awesome, hilarious comedy jokes. Robbie and another dude are also doing stand-up. Then Robbie and I are going to do a live podcast about libertarian themes and Star Wars and things. That's November the 5th. Go to thefiretix.com to find out all about it. For Pacifica Radio, October 23rd, 2022. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and editor of the new book, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. You can find my full interview archive, more than, uh, was it, 5,700 of them now, almost 800, going back to 2003, at scotthorton.org and at YouTube, and, which is censoring me right now, so you shouldn't. You should go to Rumble or BitChute or Odyssey or any other alternative to YouTube and look for the archive there as well. And follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at Scott Horton Show. Okay, and now introducing my old buddy James Carden. He writes for The Nation magazine, and he runs this thing called Acura, the American Committee on U.S.-Russian Accord. And here he has an article that he co-wrote with Katrina Vandenhuevel, the publisher of The Nation magazine at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. It's called, How Did We Avoid a Cuban Missile Armageddon? Strategic Empathy. Hmm. Welcome back to the show. James, how are you doing, sir? I'm well. Thank you very much, Scott. Strategic Empathy. That sounds like treason. How dare you? I know. The nerve of us to suggest something that is basically applying the golden rule to U.S. foreign policy. It's a, an outrageously <laughs> a subversive idea these days, I guess. Yeah, I remember when Ron Paul brought up Jesus and the golden rule at a Republican debate in 2012, and the whole yeah. crowd just booed him. <laughs> right, right. I mean, this is an idea that um, it was Secretary of State John Hay who served under Theodore Roosevelt um, that was his guiding principle, uh, the Monroe Doctrine and the Golden Rule. Um, but we've come a long way in the past 120 years, and now these these ideas are um, basically not only frowned upon; they are they put you kind of on a media blacklist, um, and that's a uh, sad state of affairs. But it goes a long way to explaining where we are in the world. Yeah, you know what? So let's go back to where this interview started because. I think we found one major important loophole in exactly what you're saying here. Now, not when it comes to TV or anything like that, but this article, for example, that you've written here is co-authored with the publisher of the nation magazine. And the loophole there is that she was married to the late Stephen Cohen, who was the Russia expert who knew better than all of this BS. And so she does too. And she is BS proof when it comes to all these narratives about Russia. And yet 
She can't quite be kicked out of polite society. She's Katrina Van and Wavel, for Christ's sake. So maybe they can, like, sort of kind of try to ignore her, but they haven't begun to try to demonize her yet. I don't believe I've seen a single hit piece on her um, so far. And so now we know that, like, look, she's a good liberal. She's not, like, a hard leftist, whatever, this or that. She's, um, and I don't mean to say she's a centrist. She's, you know, but she's, like, on the line between liberal and progressive, right? And and it's not a radical, not unacceptable, and yet has a view here far outside of the current center-left liberal consensus when it comes to the war in Ukraine and America's role in it all. So in a way, that's and that's sort of why I introduced you that way, so that people know that, like, I don't know, I didn't say that you write for the World Socialist website of the Trotskyoid weirdos. Like, this is the Nation magazine, man. That matters, doesn't it? Well, And no yeah, offense I, to the World Socialist guys, because they are Trotskyite weirdos, but I do kind of respect them, because they've done some good work in the past. So what the hell? You know, go ahead. They, they, they have, in fairness. Um, no, so getting just quickly back to Katrina, the other reason that um, her voice carries such weight is that she in and of herself is a, is a Russia expert. Um, so it wasn't just her connection to, you know, being, oh, pardon me. Cause I didn't really realize that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, please this, elaborate about that since I screwed that up so bad. No, you didn't. It's just, it's not that well known because she's, you know, she's known as mainly through her, um, connection to the nation, but she's a fluent Russian speaker. She's been going over to Russia for, uh, 40 years. Um, she has written and co-written books about, about Russia. So, um, so she, you know, in every respect is a, is a, is a serious, you know, Russia expert in addition to her other, her other talents. Um, so people, I think, you know, mistake her for simply being a talking head from the, you know, David Brinkley, George Stephanopoulos show, but she's much more than that. Uh, and it was a, a pleasure to write, this article with her. Yeah. Well, I mean, and look, the reason I kind of frame it that way is because there is a real crisis going on right now. I mean, look at your headline here. You're insisting that, hey, fellow adult people say left of center at all. Don't you think we should look at this war like adults instead of emotional children? And that's a pretty radical proposition right now. So, and especially on the liberal left, which I think for a lot of reasons, I'm not wrong to say, is really the modern descendant of the new left from the Vietnam War era, the civil rights and anti-war left of the 1960s. And yet somehow you got to go usually pretty far to the left to find people who are good on this stuff, whereas the center-left liberals are just marching us to Armageddon here. That's true. I think that, and I've written about this before, um, that the anti-war movement, the center of the anti-war movement is now moved to the right. Uh, there is really no viable, serious anti anti-war movement on the left anymore. The progressives have signed on to this proxy war with Russia uh, with great enthusiasm. So it's been a shock and disappointment to see the progressives in this country with, you know, some notable exceptions, Code Pink, obviously, and people like that. But I just interviewed Medea Benjamin last yeah, week, by the way. She, she is does, great. Yeah, she's terrific. She does wonderful work. But outside of that, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Um, that is not a 
mainstream group that ha has very limited appeal in this country. And uh, all of the leading progressives, including uh, Bernie Sanders and his chief foreign policy advisor, Matt Duss, um, are all for this war. Um, and the other thing I just want to address, since you mentioned um, adults, <laughs> when we were writing this piece, I came across a section of Robert Kennedy's uh, memoir of the crisis. And he noted that in the XCOM, there were, in his opinion, you know, some of the brightest, uh, most qualified, experienced men in the United States. And he said that if any of a half dozen of them had been president, we would have been embroiled in a catastrophic civilization ending war. And that was something that alarmed me when I was reading through the minutes of the XCOM in preparation for the article. You had people who were extremely, extremely experienced, bright, credentialed. And fast forward to today and look at the cast of characters that Biden has surrounded himself with. God, and it's really quite alarming to think that the people calling the shots are people who have continually made catastrophic judgments over the course of their careers. So, you know, the only, there's only one person in the administration who really knows anything uh, about Russia and it happens to be the CIA director and that's about it. So, you know, there's no committee of wise men and or women surrounding Biden. So we are really, it's in Washington, it's the, the blind leading the blind. And it's a really terrifying prospect to think that the future of our country, and perhaps even given the stakes, the world uh, is in the hands of Tony Blinken. Yeah, well, um, absolutely right there. Now, I want to get back to that in just one second, but I want to go back to the first part of your analogy and your metaphor and all that for people listening here on the radio in LA on Sunday morning, a lot of whom, you know, whatever school they went to, never really learned about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Maybe they saw the movie with, oh, what's his name? 13 Costner. Days. Yeah. yeah, Costner. But um, remind us about that because I think uh, there are quite a few anomalies in that story that do show that we were, as I guess is the widely agreed upon narrative of those two weeks there, was that that's the absolute brink of thermonuclear war, meaning you don't get closer to that without them all actually going off and us all dying. And that was essentially so as high as those tensions can get, which goes to show, and I think as you were saying there, you're quoting, was it Bobby Kennedy saying yeah. if it had been any number of these other very distinguished gentlemen around the table, instead of his brother Jack at the head of the table, it would have been war. Absolutely. From the from the very start of the crisis, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the majority of the XCOM, uh, and just, sorry, I keep saying that, uh, thinking that everyone knows what that is. So that was the Executive Committee of the National Security. Well, if I even go back to... It's yeah. 1962. The Soviets are stationing missiles in Cuba, mid-range yeah. missiles that can reach D.C. And so JFK goes on TV and says, oh, no, you don't. And this means war. If you insist, I demand you take those out now. And that was the confrontation. Right. And so the choice is then, 
you know, being presented to the president by the hard line military and civilian advisors were um, attack Cuba, take out the missile installations, invade Cuba. Um, and they settled on uh, a quarantine. Uh, so he made the demand that they would have to uh, dismantle the sites. Um, and then they quarantined uh, the island. Um, and that bought time for them to negotiate. Um, but there were some extremely dangerous moments where the pressure on the president to launch a military strike was extremely heavy. Uh, on the, uh, the, the day before the crisis ended, on the 27th of October, um, the Soviets shot down uh, an American U-2 reconnaissance plane over Cuba, killing the pilot. So after that happened, uh, the vast majority of the people advising Kennedy were, you know, braying for a retaliatory strike. Uh, and the president held out. The president was able, I think, to hold out because he and Khrushchev over the past year or so had um, kind of built up a rapport through the exchange of letters. And so they addressed each other in very frank terms. And there was a kind of trust built up there. Uh, we don't have anything like that today. So the, there was at least an open and frank channel of communication between the two sides. And that helped to diffuse crisis. Yeah. And both leaders were able to, as Katrina and I suggest, they were able to empathize with the position of the other. Um, and that is borne out in all of the historical documents. So the situation that we're in today, in some ways, is more dangerous because we simply don't have that kind of robust channel of communication between the United States and Russia. And the level of distrust is absolutely through the roof right now. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, now I have to stop for a second to raise some money for KPFK. Well, running a radio station is expensive. Fortunately, we're broadcasting from one of the wealthiest cities in the world, a place where just one B-list celebrity could afford to keep the station going for a quarter without even missing it. I know it's trendy for all the center-left liberal hacks like Ben Stiller and Mark Hamill to sidle up to the war machine. That's how they prove they're not supposed anti-American leftists, by supporting militarism and mass slaughter overseas especially when Democrats are in power. But I know there's some proud anti-imperialists in Hollywood who care a lot more about ending war than looking compliant and acceptable before the war party. America desperately needs a principled, well-financed, radical left that will prioritize peace and keeping up the pressure on liberal Democrats in office to stick with the people and not entrenched power. Just as the America First non-interventionist right is putting pressure on the Republican War Party, we at KPFK have to keep the left focused on fighting that same kind of campaign against the Democrats. Look at what's going on with the current Yemen War Powers resolutions. In the House, it's H.J. Res. 87, and in the Senate, it's S.J. Res. 56. Now, the vast majority of the co-sponsors of these resolutions right now are Democrats. While some of them may specialize in this story and truly care, this is really about 99% due to the pressure created by left-wing Quaker and Yemeni expatriate communities in this country. Not a single cable TV news host has made this their priority. 
it gets essentially no coverage. But it's the worst war in the world, and we can help to end it. Tools like this radio station, the largest FM transmitter west of the Mississippi River, are absolutely essential. It won't be long before the whole world is suspended from Twitter for telling the truth about one thing or another. KPFK must remain. KPFK must remain so that we can get the word out and rally the forces of peace against the military-industrial complex and its minions. Well, that's what this show and this station are all about. Since starting Anti-War Radio here on KPFK back in 2010, my expert guests and I have told the truth about and debunked every lie the Hawks have come up with to justify their interventions in Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, and Ukraine, as well as national security state law-breaking and scams like the Russiagate hoax. And it isn't just that you love the show, right? It's that you're stoked every time you listen to know that this station and show are going out on the airwaves and that who knows who is picking up the same thing at the same time too. The bottom line is, the U.S. federal government and its world empire murder people every day, and they lie from morning to night to justify it all. So our job is telling the truth and convincing the rest of the population to get on board the consensus and end the war state before it ends us. But we need your help to do that. Simple as that. It's 818-985-5735 to pledge your support. KPFK.org or 818-985-5735. Dig deep, pitch in, and let's get this part out of the way so we can get back to the real business of exposing lies and supporting peace. Anyone who donates $75 or more will get a copy of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, which Daniel Ellsberg said was devastating. 818-985-5735 or kpfk.org. And thanks. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, they've got great deals on weed at thehempspot.com. The Hemp Spot specializes in Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol instead of Delta-9, so they can send it straight to you anywhere in America. Recently, a friend moved and didn't have a guy in his new town, but then he heard about thehempspot.com on my show and was saved, figuratively and literally, because if you use the promo code SCOTT, you get 15% off every order and free shipping on any order over $100. Legal jams, bud, gummies, and the rest in your state. Thehempspot.com. Spell V-T-H-C. You guys, my friend Mike Swanson has written such a great revisionist take on the early history of the post-World War II national security state and military-industrial complex in the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy years. It's called The War State. I have to say, it's the most convincing case I've read that Kennedy had truly decided to end the Cold War before he was killed. In any case, I know you'll love it. The War State by Mike Swanson. All right, it's Anti-War Radio. I'm talking with James Card, and he runs the American Committee for U.S.-Russia Accord. And you should sign up for their email list. It's great articles every single day to inform your perspective on this entire crisis. And now I want to go back to what you said about how Jake Sullivan ain't no Bobby Kennedy. And for what it's worth, I mean, I don't know if Bobby Kennedy was even Bobby Kennedy, but these guys sure don't have uh, that much depth. And this is just a short clip. I don't want to try anyone's patience here, but this is from the obviously Russian intercepted clip of Victoria Newland, Robert Kagan's wife and Undersecretary of State for European Affairs under Obama on the phone with Jeffrey Pyatt, the ambassador to Ukraine. And this is where 
the famous F the EU phone call. The EU, meaning Germany's taking too long to do the coup. They're trying to negotiate, and we want a coup now. So F the EU. We'll just go ahead and do it our way is the narrative here. That's Listen to it yourself. They took down the official version, but there are more on YouTube and wherever. But this is the all-important clip that I want you to hear very quickly here. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying, you need Biden, and I said, probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Okay, great. Right. Thanks. Okay, so this is Victoria Newland telling the ambassador to Ukraine that I just was speaking with Jake Sullivan, and he told me I'm going to need Biden to do it. So I said, right on, that's what we'll do. And we'll get him to do a conference call with the participants, essentially the people who they're planning to take over the government is who they're discussing there, and to give them the attaboy that they need. In other words, the confidence booster that America has their back here, speaking as the vice president of the United States, and to make the deets stick, the details, to essentially let them know that that's what it's going to take to get everybody in line, to get the thing accomplished. We're going to need Biden himself to get on the phone with them. That's the advice we got from Jake Sullivan. So that's what we're going to do. And then he says, okay, great. Yeah. So that's America plotting the overthrow of the government of Ukraine in 2014. And by America, I mean our current undersecretary of whatever they call her, running, you know, having a lot to do with this policy on Ukraine, I guess sitting... In the State Department of the National Security Council, James, I hope you can help me. She's at, she's at number three at state. She's on number the three at state. And then our, our president, who was then the vice president, who, as they say, held the brief on Ukraine, and his then national security advisor, former Hillary Clinton right-hand man, Jake Sullivan. Remember, AQ is on our side in Syria. He, he, he. That guy. Uh, after Hillary left the State Department, he went to work for Joe Biden as his national security advisor, which is what he is right now for President Joe Biden, national security advisor. So these exact people, when you say, yeah, they've made bad decisions, they're the ones who started this war eight years ago. And now all they can do is pretend that they didn't and that this is everybody else's fault but theirs. And they're the angels fighting against the forces of darkness. And ain't that convenient for them? And isn't that a real pain in the neck for us that this is who we have stuck as, you know, part of this small group of people running this war? Well, I'll give Newland credit for one thing. She's consistent because this has been a through line in her career, uh, regime change. You mean um, how she used to work for Dick Cheney in the <laughs> vice president's <laughs> office in the Did W. Bush years? <laughs> Did I telegraph that? Um, <laughs> yes, that's exactly where I was going. She was uh, Dick Cheney's national security advisor. She's Robert Kagan's wife, for God's she sake. Was, the guy that was, wrote with Bill Crystal toward a neo-Reaganite foreign policy. It's time to establish American global hegemony in 1996. Yeah. Right. So she was, you know, for the invasion of Iraq. She was for the debathification program pursued by Bremer. All of these people have... I guess the term is failing up and there's never been any consequences for any of the uh, disastrous advice and, or any of the disastrous policies that they've, that they've pursued over the past quarter century now. Yep. Seems to work very well for them. 
All right. Right. And, you know, and not least uh, among those policies uh, is, of course, the policy of NATO expansion that is really at the root of this uh, crisis. Mm. All right. Now, I'm glad you said that. Again, it's anti-war radio. Scott Horton talking with James Carden. Uh, what you just said there, that's known as a Putin talking point, And the people who call it that, they never address why it's a Putin talking point. Maybe he relies on that a lot because it's verifiably true. And so, therefore, it's an effective talking point. But you can never agree with David Koresh even that the sky is blue. Don't you know he's the enemy? And so, no matter what it is that he says, it must be disregarded. But... You know what, James? I also am an American like you. And yet I can admit that this is all Bill Clinton and W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Joe Biden's fault. That doesn't affect my ego whatsoever. I'm not Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton's not me. And when he makes a bad decision, that's really, you know, tough luck for the people who suffer the blowback from his policies. But it doesn't stain the Statue of Liberty or my ego to admit when he does something wrong, which he does all the time and still does. Same for W. Bush, for God's sake. And Barack Obama, are you kidding me? Donald Trump, are we getting warmer? These aren't good presidents. Joe Biden, who's been nothing but John McCain in the Senate since 1973. And we all hate these people for good reason. So why should it be that if they do something wrong, it has to hurt our feelings so bad to admit it, that that it has to be equated with taking the position of the other side? But then, so I'm sorry, I'm just whining. You back I mean, up your statement, please, sir, if you could, that NATO expansion has anything to do with this other than a cheap excuse for aggression by the Russians. Okay, sure. I mean, the, the one thing I just want to note, and, th you know, that's right. So anything that, any argument made against this war, any argument made against U.S. policy that led to this war, you're immediately smeared as echoing uh, Russian propaganda. And there's no doubt about the fact that the Russians do use these things as propaganda, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're that they're wrong. And Putin is a little bit a little bit like Trump in a way. He takes a kernel of truth and then he'll blow it up at, out of all proportion for political gain. There's no doubt about that. But you know with regard to NATO expansion. The Russians have been warning us and pleading with us for 30 years not to do this. They feel that we went back on our word uh, given by Secretary of State Baker and President H.W. Uh, Bush that NATO would not expand one inch east of Germany. And it, we've expanded it in successive waves to Russia's western border. And they feel that we've not only broken our word on that, NATO expansion also was accompanied by our tearing up of treaties that were signed during the Cold War, designed to ensure trust and verification. Bush tore up the ABM treaty, Trump tore up the INF and Open Skies treaties. Um, and so, and then also we've of course put missile installations in Poland and Romania. And so all of this stuff is happening in their neighborhood. And it makes them, I think, for good reason, feel threatened. But we've never taken that seriously. Even in December of this past year, uh, the Russians issued a draft treaty 
asking, I think, for fairly reasonable things, such as Ukrainian neutrality, uh, and then um, with a guarantee, and this is similar sort of to the deal uh, that was made in Cuba, uh, that they would not invade. But we rejected it out of hand. We didn't even say that, okay, well, let's sit down and talk about it. It was rejected out of hand. So, you know, these things have built up in their mind over the past 30 years. And people like uh, you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, you mentioned Steve Cohen and my co-author Katrina and uh, people like John Mearsheimer and a lot of the guests that you've had on over the, over the years and yourself included, um, you know, have been warning that eventually uh, these policies are going to result in something very, very ugly. Uh, and that, and that happened, but we had, we've, we've had, we've had many chances to head this thing off, but there's no will among the American elite, among American elites like Newland, like Sullivan, like Blinken to pursue uh, what Katrina and I call strategic empathy. And this has led us to an extremely unfortunate and dangerous situation. And it's a real tragedy because all of this could have been avoided. All right. So in the few minutes we have left here, James, please tell us about Acura, this okay. American Committee for U.S.-Russian Accord that you run here. Well, the first thing I want to say about it is that because of the, the name of it, um, I, I, it's important for me to say that as a group, we unequivocally condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine. My position on on war and peace is that, is that if you're anti-war, you have to be anti-war all around. And there was really no urgency or, you know, build up in Ukraine and on the side of the West for the Russians to, to do that. So I just wanted to get, make that very, very, very clear. We are not funded by foreigners or corporations. Uh, it is a 501c3 educational organization, and we hold Zoom panels, and now, thankfully, a few panel discussions in person. And we are just an organization that promotes dialogue and diplomacy. And those two things have been sorely lacking in Washington. We are not reflexively anti-American or pro-Russian. Uh, what we are, we, we are for peace, and we believe that, we, that other states have interests that we should take seriously. And we think that there really needs to be a change in direction with regard to U.S. policy towards Russia, which doesn't mean giving everything, giving them everything that they want. It just means making the first tentative steps towards listening and understanding. All right, you guys, that is James Carden. He's the director of the American Committee for U.S.-Russia Accord. Thanks very much again for your time. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Scott. All right, y'all, and that has been Anti-War Radio for this morning. Thanks very much for listening. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editor of Antiwar.com, and I got 5,700 interviews for you at scotthorton.org. I'm here every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30 on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.